Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Coach the Coach Radio. Brought to you by the Business Radio X Ambassador Program. The no-cost business development strategy for coaches who want to spend more time serving local business clients and less time selling them. Go to brxambassador.com to learn more. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Coach the Coach Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today we have with us Robert Glazer with Acceleration Partners. Welcome, Robert. Hey, Lee. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to be chatting with you. I'm a big fan. And uh, tell us a little bit before we get started about Acceleration Partners. How are you serving folks? Sure. I'll have to tell you what we do and then give you an example because everyone needs one. <laughs> so um, we are a 200-person uh, global partner marketing firm. So we help companies build uh, global affiliate and digital partner marketing programs. So what that looks like is instead of getting paid for a, a placement or a click, um, you might have a content site that writes one of these articles about, you know, the best mattresses to sleep on and has a list. And then they would partner with the brand so that when you click on the mattress to buy it, uh, if, if it's sold, um, they get a they get a cut of that. So um, it's kind of like a, a big business development program that's enabled by technology. So that's that's what we do. So how'd you get involved in uh, kind of this affiliate marketing? Um, I got, you know, a little by accident, like anything, but, but it was just a channel. I just found that it was a very win-win channel. Um, I liked the notion of people kind of entering a partnership and doing well. Um, the early versions of it had a lot of, uh, kind of lowbrow stuff in it. And I just saw there was a good opportunity. I helped, I helped a company build their program. That program got really well known. That company sold uh, for a couple hundred million dollars. People went to other companies and they said, Hey, can you help us build programs like that? And eventually I couldn't do them anymore. So I started hiring people. So that, that, (laughs) that's the short story. Now, um, when I've seen this work in the past, a lot of it is kind of B2C work. Are you seeing it more involved in the B2B work? Yeah, the software is really allowing it, it. It's really digital partnership. So, you know, a lot of stuff that was very manual and business development, like, hey, Lee, send me a contract and I'll edit it. And then you send people to us and then we'll do like that can all be done online. You know, you even in the B2B world, you could track leads, you could track interest. You know, if you said, hey, you know, I'm going to pay, you know, $100 for every quality guest that I get on my podcast. And you went out to the world and said that, you know, you might have tons of sources of inbound uh, podcast guests, but then you need, in order to make that not a huge aggravation, you need to set up something digitally that tracked that, measured that, you say approved, the person gets paid, and then it becomes a lot easier to, to manage. So now, um, when you're working with a firm, uh, how mature do they have to be? Do they have had to already be doing this and selling in some manner, and then you come in and insert your processes into that to help them be more efficient and effective? Or can they have just an idea and then engage your firm? Yeah, we work with mostly kind of enterprise or well-funded companies that are that are doing you know, 10 to 25 million online already. Um, there's definitely some smaller companies that work with people when they get started, but that's, that's just not our segment. We're, we're, we're more in the sort of mid-sized enterprise space. So now what advice would you give um, somebody out there that is thinking about exploring the affiliate marketing? 
Yeah, look, I, to me, it's just a shift of, of outcomes and paying for outcomes. I, I would much rather pay for outcomes than input. So I would think about who out there has my target audience already, like who's engaging them and how can I create, you know, what is it worth to me if they're to send their customers to me? And then and then how could I reach out to them and, and what would I be willing to pay them? And that's that's just the premise for beginning to set up a program. Now, are there certain platforms that uh, you recommend or is or are they all kind of equal? Uh, no, they're different based on each case. We work with, I think, six or seven different technology platforms or affiliate networks. And, you know, some are a better choice if you're a million dollar U.S. company. Some are a better choice if you want a program running in seven different countries and need global payouts and stuff like that. So it really depends on where that brand is in the life cycle of their program. Now, I became first aware of you and your work uh, through the Friday Forward. Can you talk about how that newsletter kind of got started and, uh, and uh, how you use it right now? Sure. So, so we've been a remote, fully remote company for, for 14 years. We've now scaled up and made that work at 200 people well before COVID. Um, and uh, so when we were about 40 people about six years ago, um, I had gone to a pretty intensive leadership program. One of the things that was really talked about there was focusing on the morning and your morning routine uh, and and reading something positive and taking some time to write and reflect. And we were given some books and they were a little too rainbow and unicorny for me in terms of positive <laughs> morning motivation. And so a couple of weeks in, I really liked the routine, but I decided like, why don't I try writing something? And, and I'll take some of these stories or quotes that I have. It'd be a little different, like try to push employees to, to try something new or capacity. Like it wasn't going to be about work. So I started sending it on every Friday. It was called Friday inspiration to our 40 employees remotely. I figured it'd be a good way to keep in touch. Um, I didn't think anyone was reading it, but, but after, you know, a couple months, I started to get replies and people said, Oh, this was great. Or I did this, or I forwarded it to my wife's company, or I sent it to my brother and his family. And it became clear that it was sort of leaving the the, the organization. Um, and then and then the catalyst was I, I was at an event with some other CEOs and I was telling them that I thought this was a really good thing to do with their teams, to write something, um, connect with them. And they said, great, well, send me what it is that you send. And I sent it and one of them started his own and the other uh, uh, people said, great, we'll just send this to, <laughs> to our teams. Um, so I, I thought, hey, maybe this has value outside of the company. I, I I, I was having trouble managing it via BCC. So I just switched it over to a newsletter system, but I kept it as a plain text kind of email. Uh, and I threw a couple hundred friends and family on it, kind of waiting for a deluge of what the hell is this? Take me off, unsubscribe. But it didn't. Uh, it, it, it went into more people, more companies. Uh, someone wrote an article about it. And uh, I woke up five years later and there are 200,000 people in 60 countries reading what I ended up re calling Friday Forward, given that it, it was forwarded so much. Now, do you find that a lot of folks um, kind of try to make things too perfect early on rather than do what you did and just kind of saying, hey, these are my thoughts. I'm not, you know, kind of putting jazz hands on it. I'm just going to put the good content out there and share it. So, yeah. So actually you hit on a key nerve, a couple of themes of lessons I learned and mistakes I almost made. One, it was clearly working. It was resonating with people. I didn't really know what it was, how I was going to make money on it. Like, and and, um, and and so I had some thoughts there, but I really, I just felt like it aligned with all of my values and just felt like something I enjoyed doing. It had an impact. It was good. And then the similar thing, like, again, I could have overthought it at the time. Like, again, again how do I make money? What do I do? But I just was like, look, it's adding value. How do I keep doing it? Adding value. I don't have to figure that all right now. And it kept, it kept growing. Then eventually I decided I wanted to become a book and it, you know, turned into 
to, to something else. But yeah, I think really early on there's, there's a desire to like see the full end game and think that it's a straight line and it's never going to be a straight line. In fact, the book that I wrote, the compilation book of Friday forward kind of got rejected by everyone. I was told to write a different book. I did. That book was really successful and it led to me re-releasing <laughs> that first book three years later. So I, I, the line is, is, is never straight. I think if you believe in something, if you think it's a good use of your time and energy and align with your values and you just keep going with it, sometimes that's, that's most important. Now, why do you think it is that people want to have kind of this uh, magic system that has all the answers rather than just trust the chaos a little bit and meander? Uh, I think it's the difference with someone who's truly entrepreneurial or not. If you're truly entrepreneurial, you almost have to try. You have, <laughs> it's got to exist. You've got to try because just the status quo isn't going to work for you. I see a lot of people struggling, I think, who think they want to be entrepreneurs, but they just they want to understand the end game. They want to see it all the way through. They want, you know, all the dots on the painted, you know, paint by number picture and that's just not how it works. <laughs> you, you more have to decide to just cut the cord and go for it. So I, I I think it's probably the wrong person sometimes trying to force themselves into a mindset that's not honestly them. Now, do you find that some of the, the reasons behind that is that maybe people buy into some of the, the myth of some of these entrepreneurs or super successful people that they think it, it was a, more of a straight line, that these people knew that they were going to achieve this and it, be, it was so obvious in hindsight. Uh, but uh, obviously, while it's happening, it's, it's not obvious and, and there are struggles that people just don't see. Yeah, I always say I think entrepreneurial su- success is it really looks good in the rearview mirror. I, I think no one sees the disasters, the near bankruptcies, the repeated failures, the pivots. Like when it works, they see the outcome and they go, "Oh, he was lucky, or she was smart, or you know, the timing, or or, or something like that." It, I, the, the destin people are resolute about the destination, but I don't think they have any clue with the twists and turns that that path will take. There, there, there's a chart of this I share every year with our team. It shows the beginning of the year and it shows the like flag at the end of the year and it shows a straight line. But then above and below the straight line, there is a peak, there's a trough, there's an explosion. There's a, <laughs> it all averages out to like 8%, but it, does, it, it never looks that cleanly. And I think they're, you know, the people who, as soon as they have their first downturn, they, they think about throwing in the whole towel. They're probably not, that's probably not the right journey for them. So now you mentioned that your um, organization is remote. How were you able to kind of create a, um, such a successful company culture while dealing with uh, folks that aren't really seeing each other face to face that often? Yeah. So <laughs> I always laugh. I mean, we, we've been fortunate to win 30 different best place to work awards. Uh, when we were named one of Forbes 25 best small businesses in the U.S., it says the, the, the title was something about a great place to work, despite the fact that they don't have one, um, which I thought <laughs> which I thought was funny. I think we figured out some things early on that, that we'd have to find the right type of people for that environment. We had to design our culture and our core values around people that would succeed in that environment. I think the thing that people are missing, though, is that, and maybe they'll see it now, everyone in our company was always on the same page. So we were, ever since Zoom and video came out, it was kind of our default. Teams worked together. They, they saw each other. They traveled to conferences, like when we're out, but, but everyone was on the same page. They actually felt like one team and people would start and say, I feel more engaged in this company than other ones where, 
um, you know, we were all in person. We also did an annual four day summit event where we went pretty deep, like kind of borrowed from like EO, YPO, kind of world changing speakers, like get, get really deep so that people get to know each other. You can pass someone in the hallway at the water cooler and only have a superficial, you know, conversation with them, you know, not learn something kind of deep or different, or that happens, you know, when you're doing have certain speakers or certain trust oriented exercise uh, exercises, but we get that comment a lot from people coming in. I, I, I think where people had struggled in remote work was when like, they're the two people remote out of 98 and they feel really isolated because everyone was on the same page in our organization. We designed all of our systems around that. Now, do you do anything that kind of creates those serendipitous collisions and the ability to kind of um, be a fly on the wall and learn from each other and transfer the knowledge when somebody does stumble upon something great? Yeah, I mean, we we, we have um, a knowledge management system that we keep really updated that with best practices. And, you know, if you put something in there, it sort of says that you did it and there's a confidence interval. We have all kinds of different groups in Slack where people get together from personal topics, professional topics. Uh, they get together in person too. And we do, we do stuff at those events. So we do, we do quarterly events in person. We have that annual summit regionally. So th- there are a lot of opportunities for, for that. Um, but I also say like, I think it's a little bit like the, 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 any sort of army or, or military, we, we have our ethos, we have our values, but in we're client service. So people operate in their six to eight person kind of unit or team and 80% of their experiences with that team. And they're, they spend a lot of one-on-one time with that team and they're out at clients and there are conferences and their events with that team. So, you know, I, I think that's, you know, that, that, that when those numbers break down, that's going to be a lot of your, your experience. Now, um, when you were designing this uh, kind of with a remote in mind, um, did you feel that, I don't know how to phrase this, but the, the folks that are trying to create that kind of close bond with their people in person, they sometimes think I'm going to throw a foosball table in there and then that should do it and I'll be good or, or put some Django on a table. Um, do you. Like, how'd you kind of say, you know, that's not how, that's not the our core value. No, that's a great example. So, so look at, at many Silicon Valley or, you know, foosball shots in the office, barista, like that stuff is not indicative of a good culture. Sometimes it's meant to cover up a, a bad culture. So we tried to get people who share similar values. We're very, you know, I, we hire about 1.5% of the people that apply for jobs. So, so they like the mission. They share values of people that, that, that they're doing it with. They feel like they can do really cool things in work and they have the flexibility stuff outside of work. A lot of our employees like to travel. They run marathons. They do stuff where they're real beneficiaries of the flexibility. So that's the whole picture that they're looking for. So good culture is great team, people they trust, shared values, good work. Like, you know, it's not, it's not foosball, but I hate my boss. <laughs> um, so yeah, th- those things are perks. Those really aren't, aren't culture, I-, I think, in any way. So now core values is so important to you. You've created a core values course. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, so back to that leadership thing that led me to Friday Forward, part of that coming out of that was, it was something on, on authentic leadership and understanding that it's really hard to lead if you don't know your core values and you can't articulate them because you really won't become a good leader uh, if you're being inauthentic. And so I, I spent about six to 12 months. I, I didn't really have, I knew the why, I didn't have a how. I read a bunch of different things. I kind of 
put together a process uh, for figuring out my core values. It was incredibly powerful for me. My, my business life changed, personal life changed, everything when I had when I could put those on my desk and, and I had clarity. And I, I believed in that so much that we actually rolled out, kind of turned that into a curriculum with our leadership classes of, of, of new managers, um, said to them, look, you're going to have to lead authentically to yourself. We want to help you figure out your personal core values. We did that over two years. We got to a process that was really repeatable and got good results. Um, I wrote about core values a lot in Elevate. People always said, all right, well, how do I do this? And I was like, well, it's just not an easy answer. So I took that process that that we did with our own team, turned it into a course, um, released it in, in January, uh, and, and over 700 people have signed up and the results have been really great. I think it's been good breakthrough for some people. They've been dancing around it, and particularly after coming out of 2020 and some realizing they had some bad decisions. They, I think this is a good foundational work for everyone to be like, what do I actually value? <laughs> what should I be doing more of? What should I be doing less of? Who should I be spending more time with less of? And I, I, it's been really cool as working with some of the emerging leaders at our company. When they, when I see that they get it and that those are their values, they're like, oh my God, this explains like so much, <laughs> so much inside of work, so much outside of work, so much why I'm, you know, constantly bickering with this person on my team. And it allows them to, to communicate that. Um, I mean, I'll give you an example for anyone who's shown to have a core value of trust that usually runs deep into some childhood thing for them of, of, of sort of violation of trust. But when they have a core value of trust, they are often, I will say to them, so, cause it's had the discussion a couple of times now. Um, so what happens when someone on your team's five minutes late or doesn't do the assignment or just things that are a little off. And, and what happens is they, they totally lose trust in that person, but that person's not clear about that and they haven't communicated that. And so what they do is they go after they go through this program, they go back to their teams and they say, these are my values. These are what's important to me. If I value trust, like I need you to be on time, hold your word or whatever, because that's important to me. And if you don't do that, like that, that's hard for me to get on board with you. And, and so they're kind of telling their team how to, how to manage up to them, which is helpful. Now, why has generosity been kind of at the heart of your work? It seems that, you know, from, from the very beginning at Friday Forward to now this, this core values course, sharing what you know, not only just internally, um, but to the world is important to you. Uh, some folks feel like when they have a secret sauce, they have to keep it secret and that that's the thing that's making them special. But you, it seems, feel that sharing and being generous is the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> Lines back to what I just told you. I, I'm just being authentic to myself. My dominant core value is to find a better way and share it. I enjoy in our organization, otherwise figuring out a better way to do it. And then I get, I like seeing that in application. So I think that businesses and leaders are the ultimate vehicle for change. So I want to see better leaders. I want to see better run companies. I want to see better organizations. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of into the open source methodology, which is if we've done something in our company, if we've figured out something, if I feel like that can improve something somewhere, like I, I, I want to get it out there. I want to see it in, in, in practice. Now, is the core values course something that um, if somebody gets a hold of it, that they should be sharing with a person before they hire them? I know. I, I, I'm actually always, that's a great question. I, I'd be really careful about any personality or any of these things. Uh, you should ask behavioral-based questions. Based If your company has real core values, you should be asking behavioral-based questions to 
figure out whether those people align with your company's core values. If they don't at all and you hire them, you probably have a problem. But this isn't a diagnostic. It, it, it's actually something that's self-reflective. But I'm always, we do a lot of the personality and working style and those things after people are hired um, because it really helps explain why they work well together or where they have communication troubles or how, you know, how different teams can work together. I'm always worried about those you know, causing bias. Uh, and I think there's a fair amount of data saying they should not be used as hiring tools. But you, but you absolutely, if your company has real core values, not the Dilbert ones on the wall, not the integrity, respect, you know, all the stuff, if you, you should have behavioral based interview questions around them. Like one of our core values is Excel and improve. We have six or seven questions designed to understand whether someone has shown that behavior. So we might ask someone, hey, tell me about a time when you, you know, read a book recently or something and took a course or something to get better. If they can't come up with anything in the last five years, they that they will not do very well to our level of excel and improve. We want people who are always learning, reading books, naturally curious. Like that's just the type of person that you know succeeds well in our sort of growth-oriented culture. So not the people that talk about it, but the people that take action and do it. Yeah. Look, I've done a lot of work with Jeff Smart, who's the top interviewing guy in the world and studied the science. He said, if you ask hypothetical questions, you get hypothetical answers. <laughs> so, you know, you need to ask people what it is that they've actually done and see whether that mimics the, 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 the behavior and values that you're looking for in your business. Yeah, and that, that advice is something I, I share with young people. I've had interviewed a lot of young people because we do a lot of work with um, college folks. And I'll ask them, they'll say, I want to be a writer. And then I'm like, well, can you sh show me some of the stuff you've written? It's like, well, uh, no one's paying me to write. It's like, well, writing's free, you know, yeah. like anybody <laughs> can be a writer. Yeah. And writing is one of those things. I'll tell you from Friday forward, if you want, anyone says, well, you built this personal brand. Have you done it? I'm like, look, I wrote a lot of stuff for a long time that tried to show value, deliver value, or otherwise, it doesn't reward uh, you overnight. You've got to stick with that stuff long before you get any payback. If you look at folks like James Clear, you talk to any of these people, they'll say they wrote for seven or eight years before the hockey stick to all those articles and writing kicked in. I, I think something about that just rewards your consistency and resilience. Right. It takes a while to be an overnight success. <laughs> It takes many years to be in. There, there, it's that compounding of 1%, right? Where where eventually you don't see it, you don't see it, you don't see it. And then soon it really adds up to a, to a hockey stick. And it was obvious to everybody else at that point. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, can you talk a little bit about any workplace trends you see as we kind of come out of this pandemic? Yeah, so I, I, I've I've got a book uh, coming out, How to Thrive in the Virtual Workplace, uh, June 1st. It's already out in the rest of the world. But um, I... I one of the things in interviewing CEOs and talking to a lot of people is like, my think companies need to put a stake in the ground. Their employees may have made decisions. They already may have moved hours away. I think they need to be really clear with their employees on, you know, are, are, are we bringing everyone back into the office? Are we getting rid of the office, but you're hoping to come back in? Or the one that worries me the most is hybrid. I think if hybrid is a very intentional strategy supported with specific processes and instructions and communication about what that means, it can be successful. I think hybrid is the absence of a decision uh, for a company is, is, is potentially a, a big disaster because it's going to reward certain subcultures and behaviors. You're going to say, yeah, work from anywhere. But I noticed that people that come in and have lunch with Lee seem to get the better you know, assignments. So I, I, I think the companies pretty soon need to declare what their return to work model is and, and declare that understanding, they may lose a third of their people who that's not what they want. So we know what your uh, 
kind of biases when it comes to this? You're you're for more remote in most cases. I, I actually don't have a bias. I, I don't. I think we're moving towards more flexibility. I'm not a everyone ditch their offices and should be all remote. We're in a client service business. Um, we travel a lot. We see our clients. We go to events. That works. We work in small teams. That works really well for remote. I, I know there's certain types of cross functional or technology or creative businesses where where it really doesn't. Um, so I, I'm actually. I, I, I just think people need to put a stake in the ground. I, I will say that if you if you um, if you go back to the we are five days a week in the office and only in the office rigidity, I think your pool of workers who are looking for that is going to be greatly diminished. So might be an okay decision for now, but I'm not sure that that's the best decision for the next five to 10 years if you're trying to attract top talent. Now, um, I guess a way to test that theory is what's your, um, how much stock do you have in commercial real estate companies? <laughs> I just had a talk with my friend about this, who, who's a big leasing uh, person in, in, in commercial real estate. And he said this narrative of, of companies, you know, keeping twice as much space for half the amount of employees is, is, is completely false. And he, he has seen everyone looking for less space uh, downsizing. Like, I, I, I think there's going to be some pain for a while as people figure out how much space they need and how it's going to get used and what's it for. You could have a, probably a lot more shared workspaces. Like think about a company could have, you know, mini offices or, or sort of like their own kind or like we work type stuff in a, in a, in a bunch of cities. Um, but I, I, I would not want to be sitting on class a real estate office right now, but I'm also not saying no one's ever going back to an office again. There are plenty of people who are dying to get back into an office. Now, um, what is the pain that your uh, potential client or prospect is having right now where Acceleration Partners is the solution? That's a great question. Um, so simple, but I'm not sure anyone's ever asked that to us. The pain is that like their stuff's not working, like particularly in digital marketing. If they've been doing you know, Facebook and paid search and they've been pouring money into the big channels, the minimums just go up every every month. You know, what we do is we we agree to something like with a partner, like, Hey, like 8% of sales is a good rate. And then you can do as much volume under that, you know, rate card as you can. I think what people are the problem they're finding in a lot of their big channels is that they're just getting more expensive every year and their, their margins aren't improving at the rate that, that the digital advertising is costing them. So people are coming to us, want to try something different, wanting to find a more sustainable model. Um, I, I, I equate what we do a little more to buying the house rather than kind of just renting, renting the house. And if somebody wants to learn more, have more substantive conversation with you or somebody on your team, uh, you know, get a hold of the newsletter, the course, um, or any of your books, what's the website? Sure. Yeah. On the business side, uh, you can go to accelerationpartners.com. If you don't want to spell that, it's probably easier to just Google it. Um, all of my stuff, Friday Forward podcast, uh, courses, everything is at robertglazer.com, G-L-A-Z-E-R.com. And if you're looking for a, uh, a shortcut to the course, it's corevaluescourse.com. That's corevaluescourse.com. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work and we appreciate you. Thanks for having me, Lee. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Coach the Coach Radio. Coach the Coach Radio.